0: I think I told you all to be careful that if you voted for me, the church could be empty. (laughs) And it didn't take long. There are several of us here, but no, I don't make light of the situation that we're we're living in. Um, But it is good to be with you and to bring a message from God's Word. So I bring greetings to the GPC church family and friends. And as we attempt to participate in worship together online, and to hear God's Word preached online, let's be honest and admit that this is just a little strange. It's just a little weird. Just a few weeks ago, this would have been unthinkable to us that this would be the outcome and what we would have to do. And now it looks like this possibly or likely is a short-term new normal for the short-term. And the entire Christian community that's within the reach of the coronavirus, this will be the norm for us. And so as one of my former professors used to say, we will improvise, adapt... And overcome. We will make the most of this together. And so as we we turn our attention to Scripture for our sermon this morning, let me remind you that on the few occasions that I'll be preaching as we prepare for the transition that we believe will come, I've been sharing with you sermons from a series that I've done called Something Worth Singing About. And it's a series on some of our hymns and some of our hymn writers. And because I'm only preaching every few weeks, I just want to remind you that this is an unusual series. It has a lot of biography to it, a lot of history and explanation of hymn writers, which is not normally what we would do in a sermon. So far, um, we've looked at the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, by R. Keene, which was on the Doctrine of Scripture. We looked at the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, by Joseph Hart, which was on justification by faith. And the last time I preached, we looked at the hymn, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow, by John Newton, which was on sanctification and the pain of sanctification that we all live through. And this morning, I would like us to consider our first female hymn writer, who is likely my most favorite hymn writer of all. Her name is Anne Steele. She lived in the 1700s. She was the first female hymn writer of significance, meaning she had written so many. She wrote some 144 hymns and 40 or so metrical psalms. As well as some additional poetry, some Christian poetry, all in the 1700s. And this is unusual too. It's not very, uh, not really sermon like, but as an appetizer to her and to her ministry and her work of hymn writing, before we even get into the sermon, I want to share a gem of hers that I came across this week. It stood out to me as an appropriate hymn for the very season, this viral, contagion season that we're all enduring together. In fact, I think it could be a hymn of encouragement for our many physicians, our many doctors and health care givers during this difficult season. That little-known hymn by Ann Steele is titled, Deep are the wounds which sin has made. Listen to the words and perhaps see the words of this hymn. Deep are the wounds which sin hath made. Where shall the sinner find a cure? In vain, alas, is nature's aid. The work exceeds all nature's power. Sin, like a raging fever, reigns. With fatal strength in every part, the dire contagion fills the veins and spreads its poison to the heart. And can no sovereign balm be found? And is no kind physician nigh to ease the pain and heal the wound, ere life and hope forever fly? There is a great physician near. Look up. O fainting soul, and live. See in His heavenly smiles appear such ease as nature cannot give. See in the Savior's dying blood, life, health, and bliss abundant flow. Tis only this dear sacred flood can cleanse the heart and heal its woe. Sin throws in vain its pointed dart. For here a sovereign cure is found, a cordial for a fainting heart, a balm for every painful wound. As you learn more about her in our sermon this morning, this hymn will mean even more. But these are apt words from a sister in Christ more than 300 years ago. And they're equally true for us and equally powerful today because they echo gospel truths. And that's what makes these hymns worth singing, is that they bring truth to bear onto our hearts and into our lives. It helps to make truth portable. It helps truth go with us, even when we're quarantined and separated from each other and not able to gather in community. Now, that's a lot of words already, and we're only now beginning our sermon And our text is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, which is really a quotation from Isaiah chapter 42. But to help you understand the context for this reading, know this. Jesus has announced to the people, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jesus reveals something about his nature, about his character in those words. Right after he speaks those words... The disciples, while walking on the Sabbath day, grab some grain and they roll it in their hands and they begin to eat it. And the Pharisees bring judgment, judgmental words against them, telling them they're Sabbath breakers. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He brings a tender word to the moment. And then Jesus, immediately after that, is healing withered hands and sick people and showing kindness and mercy to the masses. And the Pharisee's response is to plot to kill him. And so at this moment, Jesus withdraws. And Matthew, the Gospel writer, reflects on what has happened in Jesus' ministry. And he reaches back and he captures words from Isaiah in chapter 42. And he attributes those to the person of Jesus, to the ministry that he has just seen Jesus do, the words of Jesus the kindness of Jesus, the healing of Jesus. And those are the words he reaches back into Isaiah 42 and grabs that are the subject for our sermon this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations, He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Let's pray together that God would bless His Word into our lives. Let's pray. Lord, would You, in Your kindness, overcome the complications of distancing and the loss of community, and would You use Your Word and the power of Your Spirit to do what You have always done to support our drooping hearts And our failing comforts, Lord, would you bring the balm of the gospel near to your people? We ask this and ask you to minister to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 42, the the real sum of what I'd like for us to turn our attention to is that statement about what would be true about the nature of the Messiah that a bruised reed he would not break, that a smoldering wick he would not snuff out. That's imagery that would have been clear to them, the first hearers of that. But for us, we have to think a little bit. Well, what's going on here? What does this mean? So for us in the Greenwood area, we might say, okay, have you ever been to the pond? And have you ever seen a cattail? A tall reed that grows up, gets heavy on the top side, and the wind can blow and that cattail can become very tender. It can very easily break over. And it's said here of the Messiah that he is so tender, he is so gentle, that a bruised reed, he won't break it. He can handle it appropriately and perfectly no matter how fragile the reed may be. And a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. We've all seen candles. You know that the last flickering wick of a candle, easily blown out. And Jesus is tender and merciful, and He treats all things with tender mercy. That is the nature of the Messiah. That is the nature of our God. And we see some beauty... And we see the reality of that tenderness and that kindness really in the life of Ann Steele. And as we begin to consider her, I think I want to talk to the room and to those of us watching online through three typical things we've experienced together, most likely in the past week, and connect those to Ann Steele as we look to her life. And those three things are these. These have been true in my observation of myself, my family, and everything I see on social media. There seem to be three words that sum up the past week. Fear, disappointment, and frailty. I think those three words sum up pretty well what I've seen happen all around us as we live through this this quarantine, the social distancing, the uncertainty of life. There's clearly fear. There's fear of sickness. And if you're young, it's not so much a fear of sickness for yourself. It may be a fear of sickness for your parents or a fear of collapsed finances, which is going to touch the life of many. There's also disappointment. I'm seeing students, high school, college students, posting constantly their their disappointment that their life structure is changed. They've lost their rhythm. They've lost their friends. They're disappointed that graduation may not be happening. Some others in the world are experiencing the suspending of wedding plans, postponing weddings and wedding venues by necessity. So there's profound disappointment in our culture. And then the third thing I've, I think I've seen is the frailty. I think we have all seen and experienced how frail we really are. Our bodies, our economy, nothing can withstand the jolt that it has just experienced. Not even the NBA or the MLB or anything else. Everything has shown its frailty, or I should say its frailty has been exposed. Now, those three words, fear, disappointment, and frailty, they don't only sum up us very well. I want you to see how well they sum up the person and the ministry of Ann Steele, who I hope you will love as much as I do. I have three simple points for our sermon, all from this text, and it is simply these three points. A bruised reed. He will not break, but he will bring true, just, true justice, so put your hope in him. So let's consider each of those things very briefly. First, a bruised reed. A biography on the life of Ann Steele is titled, A Bruised Reed. This passage from Isaiah 42 was used to capture the sum of her life. So how is it that Anne Steele was a bruised reed? What does that mean? Well, here are a few facts about Anne Steele that will help you understand why a biographer would refer to her as a bruised reed. First, she was born in 1717 in Broughton, Hampshire, which is, was a small and seemingly insignificant town. Her mother died when Ann was three years old. There's your first wound. When at age 19, she was thrown from a horse and injured badly. And she suffered chronic, nagging pain from her injuries. And you know what chronic pain is. It doesn't go away. It's with you for the rest of your life. And so she was injured. She injured her back, and she hurt physically for the rest of her life. Then at age 21, she was engaged to be married. But her fiancé drowned while bathing in a river. Now, you're thinking to yourself, why was he bathing in a river? Answer, it was the 1700s. They bathed in rivers. Now, some histories record that this was actually the the day before or the day of their wedding that he drowned. Other histories say, no, we don't think that that's correct or that's true. But either way, her fiancé drowned while bathing in a river. She would later contact chronic malaria. She had chronic teeth pain and chronic bone pain. And as somebody who cracked a molar this week, let me tell you, chronic tooth pain, that is no joke. I've never been in more pain in my life. It will bring you to your knees. She lived with it almost every day. She had bouts with fever. And though she did entertain another, at least one other marriage proposal, she chose to not marry. And she would remain single, her father was a timber salesman in that small town of Broughton, Hampshire, and he was also the Baptist minister. He was the preacher. And so she probably related to her health to her many health concerns. She turned down this other offer to Mary, and it's suggested that it's probably because she reasoned, my life is too difficult and too complicated, I think I would rather serve the Lord and be single, which is no doubt a hard decision to make. So in response to that, her father uh, put a nice room for her on his home with a fireplace, and he was content to have her help in his ministry. And he said of that room and that fireplace that he wanted to, to offer her the perfect place where she could compose her hymns of praise to God because she had a gift of writing. She had a gift of expressing truth and praise of God. At the end of her life, she would have written those 144 hymns and some 40 metrical versions of the Psalms. But the last nine years of her life were spent in bed. She couldn't get out of bed. She was bedridden until she finally passed away. And though we do not have a portrait of her, we have no idea what she looked like, we really do have a verbal portrait of her character, the kind of person that she was. We are told what her last spoken sentence on her deathbed was. And that sentence was this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And so she was a woman of chronic pain. But by God's grace, she took that chronic pain, all those complications, all those difficulties. And as you are exposed to her hymns and hear what she says, she turned it all heavenward and she praised God for being her source of comfort, her healer, her hope, her everything. She took her chronic pain and she turned it into chronic praise. So she has been called the bruised reed for that reason. She was a sickly, wounded person, but she found great hope in the person and in the work of Jesus. So Ann Steele, that's how she was bruised, but how about us? Because you know, Ann Steele is not the only bruised reed. The scriptures tell us that all of us are bruised and broken by the fall. And so it's a good thing for us to stop and consider, not just to consider her life and shake our head and say, wow, she really had it bad, but to consider our own life and say, how am I bruised? How am I broken? And has my heart hardened towards God because of my circumstances? Or has it somehow softened my heart and turned me heavenward to see that He was my only hope all along? It's a good question to ask. The truth is, the true Christian life for all of us has suffering and plotting as a theme. That we're to endure hardship as discipline. That when called to suffer, that we would suffer as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. That we would be empowered by his promises and by his word and encouraged by him. I have a quote from Sinclair Ferguson, and I can't remember where I found this, but the quote is simple. You'll remember it. He says this, we are all bruised and broken. And if you don't think you are, you're going to need a counselor. We're all bruised and broken. And I think it's good if we would see each other in that honest way. For years, I've told my students at Erskine College, particularly when they're dating or they're wanting to date, I tell them, look, don't don't make the mistake of, of looking for that person, or even if you're looking for a roommate or a friend, don't treat that situation as if you're going to the grocery store and shopping for eggs, right? You go to the grocery store to get eggs, and you get a carton of eggs, and then you peek at it, and if there are any cracks whatsoever... You close it and put it back and you look for the perfect dozen eggs, right? If we think we can approach each other like that, if we think that we can date people like that, if you think you're going to marry someone like that, you don't understand what the Bible says about our sin and all of us being sinners. We are all broken eggs. Now, some eggs may be broken a little more than others in their appearance, But we're all cracked, we're all bruised, we're all broken. We are bruised reeds. But the good news for us is, a bruised reed, he will not break. He is strong and merciful. Jesus shows himself to be both tough and tender in the perfect way and at the perfect time. The Messiah, we knew, the promises were that he would be a strong deliverer able to overcome the sins of his people, uh, able to deliver them. But what is so surprising and should be surprising to us is his tenderness, his kindness, his mercy. Anne Steele captures this well in one of her lyrics. She says this, one of her hymns has this uh, lyric. She says, of herself... They have to remember, by the way, when we hear the words of Ann Steele and you sing the, song, the songs of Ann Steele, you need to picture that she is an old maid who has dealt with a lot of disappointment, a lot of heartbreak. She has chronic pain. She's in a bed with a notepad and a pen. She's hurting, and she is writing out how the gospel is true for her. That's the context of her hymns. And she has these words. She says, If pain and sickness rend this frame, if they tear at my body, and life almost depart, I almost die, is not thy mercy still the same to cheer my drooping heart? You hear what she's saying? If my pain goes up to a ten, if I'm at the point of almost dying, that doesn't undo the truth that His mercy is eternally True And surely that eternal truth can lift my drooping heart. I love that language that she uses. She speaks of her failed comforts and drooping heart frequently throughout her hymns. And the third point is simply this. The promise of Isaiah and the reality of the New Testament is that this Messiah, when he comes, he will bring true justice. So we should put our hope in Him. That language of true justice, we have to understand that the promise of Scripture, it's never offering us earthly justice. It's offering us heavenly justice. Elsewhere, Sinclair Ferguson on this has said this. He says, we need to understand the difference between earthly courtroom justice and the kind of heavenly justice that God Himself offers us. And Sinclair Ferguson says, look, imagine this. Imagine that someone breaks into your home, and they steal a treasured family possession. Earthly justice meted out would have that person located, have that person penalized. Punitive justice. But you may not ever get that treasured possession back again. And therefore, that's not true justice. God offers us the promise that in his kingdom, he meets out true justice. And what does that mean? Simply what it means is everything that's wrong will one day be made right. Everything that's upside down will one day be turned right side up. And we don't know exactly what that is and how that will look, but that's the promise of God's kingdom, that it will be a place of true justice and that Jesus as the Messiah, His coming has brought the beginning of that era. And with Him come those promises that true justice will one day be known in all the earth, in all of God's earth. And here we have this woman she died at age 61. Remember, her last nine years were spent in bed. When she finally published these hymns, she refused to do it in her own name. She published them under the name Theodosia, which means gift of God. She was saying, These are the truths that God has given me, and now I want to give them to the church. She says, I don't want the attention that it would bring. I don't want my name. I just want people to see that there is a God who can lift drooping hearts. There's a God who's greater than our failed comforts in this life. And so I want to close with her hymn, one of her hymns, um, that we sing frequently in RUF, and and I'd, I'd love it if we learned it and enjoyed it here at GPC Uh, But the hymn is, Thou Lovely Source of True Delight. I think we have the the lyrics available to be seen. Now with that vision of her in her bed, riding out in chronic pain, uh, here's some of these words that, that she says. She says, Thou lovely source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. Now, stop there for a second. Just think about what she, the truth she's given us here. Thou lovely source of true delight. Well, isn't the opposite of that often experienced in our life in a, in a failed way? If there are lovely sources of true delight, are there ugly sources of false delights that we're settling for? And I think the inversion of that hymn shows the wicked truth of all of our hearts and the world in which we live. And she's calling us to look to the one true source, the lovely source of true delight. Then the next stanza. Thy glory or creation shines. General revelation. God speaks to us through creation. But in thy sacred word in the scriptures, I read in fairer and brighter lines Of my bleeding, dying Lord. I see my bleeding and dying Lord. So the scriptures are central to this woman who's in pain in her bed. It's there that she finds the hope of the gospel in reading the scriptures. The third stanza it's here, it's in scripture that whenever my comforts droop and sin and sorrow rise, thy love with cheering beams of hope my fainting heart supplies. The Scriptures have given her the strength and the faith to endure chronic pain and to turn it into chronic praise. The next stanza, but ah, too soon the pleasing scene is clouded over with pain. So she felt better for a moment, but here comes the chronic pain again. She's hurting. My gloomy fears rise dark between And I again complain. Oh, I again complain. She admits. She, like us, she's quick to complain. She grumbles. It's all a part of being in pain and being wounded. And then the last stanza, or almost the last. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful ray. Break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? And then, then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love, but the full glories of thy face, they're only known above. They're only known above. And there you have it. We began the worship service with a passage from Exodus 33 that reminded us we can't see the face of God. We can't see the glory of God. But Ann Steele reminds us that there is a day It's not in this life and it's not on this earth. It's in the glory to come. But there is a day where we will see our Savior face to face. And that glory is only known above. If you're living through fear, if you're living with disappointment, if you're experiencing the frailty of your human body and of the human world, Anne Steele is a great source to lift our drooping comforts to remind us of the truth of the gospel. Let's pray that that would be true, and then we'll sing her song together. Let's pray. Lord, would You make truth portable and help it to go with us, that we might, even this week, be able to see our drooping hearts lifted, to see our failing comforts restored all in the person and in the work of Christ and what He's offered to us, We thank you for the life of Ann Steele, the ministry of Ann Steele. Though 300 years ago, she's ministering to us today. We thank you for that faithfulness and your use of her as an instrument in your hands. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.